So what happened? Uh, before I go any further with this podcast, I feel that it's useful to take some time to ask the question of myself, you know, what happened to kind of plot the circumstances, the series of events that got me and, and so many others now to a place where we're so extremely concerned. I mean, orange level alert, are concerned about the direction that society is going or taking us, or dragging us, it seems, since it seems to be happening largely without informed consent on any level and is progressing under its own rather sinister steam. And when I say society, um, it doesn't mean that I'm letting governments off, off the hook, far from it, or the media off the hook, far from it. But society is complicit now, very, very complicit now in this, um, what can only be described as a march towards authoritarianism. So, you know, of course there is huge buy-in, or, or at least there appears to be huge buy-in by what appears to be the majority of the population of Western liberal societies that are getting less liberal by the hour. But it's really hard to imagine. It's really hard for me to imagine who is really for all of this now, who is for everything from, you know, from something as seemingly innocuous as wearing masks in the supermarket all the way up to sending people who've been con in contact with people with COVID to a camp and making them stay there for two weeks without their consent. Um, or indeed, you know, threatening somebody with the loss of their job unless they take a medical intervention that they don't want to have. So, you know, for me personally, it began with the statistics of, of the virus not match not matching the hyperbole of the of the headlines. And I go I thought, okay, that's the nature of the media to exaggerate. Maybe it's okay because then people will be more cautious and less likely to catch it and less likely to transmit it. You know, I never doubted for a moment that the virus existed or I never thought that it was something to be not to be concerned about. Um, obviously, it was very concerning and I felt as bad as everybody else, but all the people who died horribly from it, uh, and, and in particular, all those people who, who, who were put on ventilators. I mean, how awful was that? Um, um, I just didn't think that the all-out panic and uh, the statistics taken wildly out of context to hype up the most fear possible was the best way of handling it. It was clearly, uh, when you when you just spout statistics for any country without even taking into account their population, without taking into account the number of people who are being tested. I mean, there were some countries that had massive testing protocols in place very quickly and some countries that hardly were doing any testing at all. So how can you compare those two countries uh, or, you know, indeed two countries with vastly different uh, populations? You can't compare India to, to the UK, for example. Um, so, you know, it was just um, it was just so clear that the, the media was doing anything possible to, just to get people as hyped up and is in, in sympathetic overdrive, sympathetic meaning as in autonomic nervous system, sympathetic nervous system, uh, the fight or flight uh, part of our nervous system. And just to keep people in that gear uh, constantly, um, the height was just incredible. And um, 
and the you know and then it was the censorship so there's the, the censorship happened so quickly like uh so quickly um it was just lockstep you know all of the media all of the um mainstream media just in lockstep uh no no chance of hearing an alternative point of view no chance of hearing any debate or real discussion it was just suddenly all the media was like a mouthpiece for the for the government whatever government that happened to be and same in the united states same in the except for in the united states they had a, a, a few media platforms that weren't uh, weren't actually um touting the line and interestingly those turn out to be right right wing uh, you know like fox news i mean it's just uh, crazy to me but fox news actually has been uh, telling the truth i guess they this is how upside down the world has become. Fox News is actually finally telling the truth because they don't have to exaggerate anymore because uh, there's just so much lying going on by the rest of the media. So uh, in the UK, we don't even have that. I mean, um, do we have we don't have an equivalent of that. So, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, the spectator. But I mean, you know, a, a, the Telegraph hasn't been doing such a bad job, perhaps. But um, yeah, but I mean, the rest of them just, uh, it was impossible to hear any uh, alternative uh, perspective, uh, any any different points of view. So, and then again, you know, in the beginning, I was like, well, maybe we need some of that because there obviously was a lot of misinformation. So maybe that's okay, maybe that's acceptable. But then when the censorship extended to early treatments of COVID, that's I think was my first Rubicon um because these were treatments that doctors were saying they they work on their patients and they believed these doctors there was no they had no reason to lie they had no you know no one was paying them they weren't these treatments were not um, profit making treatments they were repurposed drugs largely drugs like ivermectin repurposed uh, you know their patents were long expired no one was making a profit off them anymore um so you know no one had anything really to gain except for perhaps saving the life of your patient but apparently that's not enough anymore um so when the censorship extended to early treatments then that was that was a real rubicon for me the smear campaign against ivermectin was so ferocious and uh it 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 was like a pack of wild dogs i mean and it, and it was about as sensible um and it seemed to me that the drug companies were either using the the culture wars to get the result they wanted, which politicized this drug so much that it somehow became synonymous with being right wing. <laughs> so that ivermectin became practically a, like a criminal drug, a right wing criminal drug. Uh, just throw in conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer. Why not? Um, uh, yeah, if, if, if ivermectin was a person, it would be a conspiracy theorist criminal, right-wing, anti-vax. <laughs> um, so since it was so cheap, because it was so cheap, been on the market so long, drug companies companies couldn't make any profit from it. And it worked. It worked. You don't want, you don't want early treatments to work when you're um, in the market of, you know, repurpose early treatments with exp exp ex uh, expired patents to work when you're in the market of making enormous profits of uh, developing um, novel um, molecules. So, so 
so they were either using the culture wars for this re result or or perhaps you know actively taking part of them part in them i don't know uh i mean drug companies are so involved in corporate media now uh brought to you by pfizer we know that pfizer sits on the in the board of directors of, of Reuters, for example, and that's just one example. So, um, you know, and then the censorship extended to the point that people who were suffering adverse health events from the vaccine just couldn't get a platform to, to share their stories at all. They were just completely shut out of the conversation. In fact, even talking about adverse events could get you labeled an, an anti-vaxxer. Um, so this label was obviously carrying something else with it um, you weren't just against the vaccines, you were a bad person. You couldn't just have concerns about this one vaccine. You were an anti-vaxxer if you were not a complete and utter zealot. You were not a complete and utter true believer in particularly this, but all other vaccines. But you had to particularly believe, and particularly apparently in the mRNA. <laughs> it gets kind of more specific. I was like, did I miss the the workshop that everyone was uh, shipped off to some weekend, uh, you know, uh, and subjected to a, a weekend of uh, brainwashing by <laughs> biotech, Pfizer and uh, AstraZeneca? Uh, yeah, very, very strange. Um, I mean, particularly looking at the um, the history of some of these drug companies and uh uh you know some of the cases that they've had to try to defend are uh, pretty undefensible indefensible things indefensible stuff um but there you go you had to be a true believer and simultaneous it seemed along with a strange determination to sort of box people in one of these two camps so these two camps are either pro anti-vax but it's not enough to say pro anti-vax it's obligatory to have only one of two very very extreme positions either you are pro-vax no matter how dangerous any particular vaccine and uh, might turn out to be doesn't matter because vaccines have proved effective in the past so you believe in vaccines you just believe in vaccines <laughs> and you're pro-vaccine passports or health passports whatever you want to call them which uh, which means bringing to bear a system of privileges and punishments, you know, unlike anything we've seen before in our lifetimes and around a, a medical uh, a medical uh, uh, intervention, uh, mandating vaccines for certain groups, possibly for everyone. Uh, so you're either in this camp of like you're absolutely like pro-vax and can't imagine that there could ever be an error or a problem with any vaccine ever. Um, or you're just like against all vaccines and against all um, precautionary measures or any kind of measures to uh, help to mitigate the uh, the impact of the the virus. So you know both these expressions, these these positions, sorry, are obviously completely unhinged. I mean, completely unhinged positions. And this is how we've been forced into like sort of being labelled. Obviously, I don't sit anywhere in that and you don't either hopefully if you're if you're listening um you know i'm sure you're not against any measure to mitigate the effects of um of the virus if you're if you're listening and uh, and hopefully you're not a person who would be for any vaccination anywhere um 
with any kind of technology without it being proved to, to be safe. So, you know, vaccines are a certain kind of medical intervention and everyone is different. So otherwise you could just get the same vaccine for every disease, right? We don't, we get different vaccines, they have to be developed and these ones, the mRNA are very different. They're in use. So just as if you could have a class of drugs, say steroids that you would call, would you call somebody anti-steroid if they raise questions about, I don't know, uh, fluoxymesterone, uh, also known as halotestin, which is an anabolic steroid popular among uh, athletes and powerlifters and boxers and MMA fighters, and which have potentially very, very serious side effects. So that would be weird, right? Wouldn't to call someone anti-steroid because they were had concerned about a, a particular steroid that has been known to harm people. Well, that's exactly how I feel about calling people anti-vax who raise questions and concerns about this particular mRNA, COVID-19 vaccine technology. Why are they anti-vax? Because they have questions about this particular, this particular vaccine. So, and who decided that? Who decided, who decides these labels? Um, because I've noticed like, it, there's like a few people who decided it seems and it just gets put out there. And then everyone's like, just repeats it. I mean, that's kind of the scary thing that everyone is just repeating these slogans. I get it because I, I've been quite outspoken. So I get this quite a lot um when when people challenge me and i want them to you know I, I i want to hear from those people i would much rather hear from the people who disagree with me than the people who agree with me although i really appreciate hearing with the people who agree with me so don't take that as don't <laughs> because it's really nice it's really nice to know that i'm not alone but um it's i prefer in a way to to hear from people who who don't agree with me because at least it means that they've listened to to something that i've said and maybe maybe considered it for a second but very often what i hear is the people who are seem to be quite zealoty what i would call quite a zealoty i won't use the word religious but zealots i would say i call them zealots they're really like rah 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 around all of the mandates and this and that, and they don't really, maybe they're just too busy, but they don't seem to discriminate that much, whatever. They seem to just quote politicians. They, I, they, they'll talk about being pro-science, but they don't ever, as in my experience, share the science. They don't want to discuss it on that level with you. They will only repeat what a politician has said. And I find this very telling, very telling indeed. Um, so, yeah, so is when, it, you know, the division that we saw, you know, early on really troubled me from the get go and the effect that it had on people. And, um, well, first of all, the effect of the, just sort of the, the heaviness and the, and the, the shutdown of people's faces and the mask wearing where you couldn't see people's mouths. And what I know about the autonomic nervous system and how we're actually primed to see people's uh, mouths and that part of the face is actually very, very important to see. And I saw people's eyes going kind of blurry and gray and um, misty, misting over and then looking down and people are looking up less, people making eye contact less, and you can just see people's nervous system shutting down. And I knew very well from, the, from studying, because I'm a yoga teacher and the things that I study on uh, in that um, feel about what happens to the nervous system 
um, when you're not giving it that, that kind of feedback that it needs, that um, social um, interact action. Um, and of course, we were starved of that. Um, then what happens is actually the executive brain functions start to shut down. It's an actual thing. It's been studied. Um, and uh, so when we stay in fight or flight, when we're in what's called sympathetic overdrive, then uh, actually we we can't think as well. Our memories are not as good. Our critical thinking uh, capacities become less. So again, you know, um, this fear, this anxiety that's been driving some of these policies, or allowing some of these policies to go uh, to to come into play without with very little uh, discussion or debate, or um, that's being largely driven by uh, a fear response, which is never, you know. Um, really the best way of handling a, a crisis, right? You want at least to be able to calm down, to be able to manage uh, the situation, to make sure that the cure isn't worse than the disease, to make sure that you're not actually making things worse in the, in the long run. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we did make things a lot worse um, that they needed than they needed to be. And I'm not just talking about the virus, obviously. So you know, it gets into some very disturbing territory very quickly where you s saw people readily signing petitions to have the unvaccinated denied the right to rental property, even to have them rounded up and thrown into jail with the, the implication of unvaccinated detention centers. Now, this was back in the summer and there was a chap in Santa Monica, California, pretending to have a petition on these things and getting many many people to sign i mean they were just signing without even asking any questions they were just where do i sign oh yes we've got to get rid of the unvaccinated honestly it really seemed that he could have said anything and they would have signed it if it had something to do with getting rid of the unvaccinated just uh and uh yeah there was this surfer that walked by and he said oh sign this petition to stop the to uh, jail around up and jail the unvaccinated and the surfer just he was a kid and he just went fascist, <laughs> and I wanted to, I wanted to give him a hug. Um, yeah, and that was back in the summer, and now, and now we have we have the detention centers in Australia, right? I mean, they're already there. They were there for people. They were already built for people coming off flights and people, I guess, uh, travelers coming into the country who either weren't vaccinated or whatever. Uh, I don't know, um, and uh, for, you know, Australians trying to get back or whatever. And now they're just putting people there just for being in contact with somebody who's had COVID, just taking them off in the COVID van, in the COVID van. So, um, so yeah, either you were completely down with any and all measures taken by your government, offering your unquestioning trust to international drug companies, and your government on this. You could criticize your government for other things, but not on COVID policy. That's sacred territory, apparently. Um, or your only other choice was to be against all vaccines ever, and to be against any form of mitigation efforts against the virus. So both positions clearly completely unhinged. 
but those are the only two positions we're allowed. And why is that? Well, I would reckon it's because it keeps us completely divided, right? And unable to make any sense uh, to each other if those are the positions that we believe that the other one holds, right? It's like, uh, you know, I won't call you a zombie if you don't call me a delinquent, the poem that I read. But I, I really meant that it's like you know can we just uh, talk to one another um as real people you know as, as real people who, who supposedly have care about similar things have similar values and uh you know about the society that we that we want to live in like ma how we manage this thing is determining whether we like it or not, whether we are awake to it or not, is determining who we are becoming as a society. It's happening every day. And what I can see is it's turning us into a bunch of Nazis. That's what it's turning us into. And it's it's not good. It's just not good. We can do better. We can do better, boys and girls. Yes, we can. So, it, you know, and it was when this idea that your pro or anti-vaccine mandate status somehow meant you were pro or anti-society that things got really weird. That's when things got really strange. So pro-vaccine and vaccine mandates being pro-society and being anti the COVID vaccine or any of its mandated uh, use or any of its anything to do with uh, government policy and the measures, that's being against society, right? You can't be against the measures you, that makes you antisocial or something. So being pro everything that the drug companies, the governments and the mainstream media mandate and, talk, and say is the right thing about COVID has become associated with being a good citizen. Questioning these things makes you a bad citizen. Well, clearly, clearly this, this cannot be true, right? But this is how it's being framed. So even when the pro mandate camp continue to criticize their politicians in other ways and they love to do that they'll say yes you know I, I i'll let's talk about government corruption okay let's talk about government corruption let's talk about uh you know in and in, inequity uh, bills that uh, create more economic inequity in our society okay let's talk about that but you're not allowed to talk about the covid policies that's off the table apparently um and the lockdowns so again you know the first one i thought okay this is interesting like many of you i i use the time to develop some aspects of my life like a bit of a retreat i thought it was quite cool really i love the dolphins in venice and uh you know uh it, it felt for a brief time that we were really all in this together when we were all unvaccinated weren't those good times when we were all unvaccinated but then, you know, when it started, lockdowns started to become used by governments as a kind of a threat, like a sword hanging over people's heads. And it seemed kind of arbitrary. And again, the numbers didn't add up and we didn't really get a full accounting of whether it helped or not. It seemed more of a matter of opinion or what side you were on. And now we have 400 studies that suggest that lockdowns were not only ineffective, but actually devastating failures. That's the language that's being used, devastating failures, um, especially uh, to the poor and vulnerable, which within societies, uh, to quote an article published by the Brownstone Institute recently, but nobody cares. Nobody cares because lockdowns are not 
no longer, and I'm not sure they've ever been actually, about whether it works or not, whether or not it's an effective measure, whether or not COVID numbers come down or not. It's a proof of one's readiness to do something for the social good, what's perceived as the social good. But obviously, I think doing something for the social good means speaking out about some things that I think are social bad, which is a lot of what's going on right now in the name of public health. So, um, and then suddenly, you know, we had our, we handed our governments the right to put us all under house arrest. We just did that almost overnight. And it seemed worth talking about, but no, you couldn't talk about that either. You couldn't talk about that. The vilifying of Sweden, who actually followed the WHO guidelines, by, by the way, on pandemics by not locking down, but nobody wanted to acknowledge that. Um, that was also very strange. I mean, the, pre the press was just so in lockstep. It was a Sweden was just the bad, you know, they were the bad rat in the laboratory. Um, you know, Japan got off the hook. Because we, we wanted to, this is all this thing about Swedish exceptionalism. It was really quite funny. Anyway, it became so transparent that a single narrative was was forming uh, around this event. And where we got this idea from lockdowns anyway, from China, right? From China, where they were welding shut people into their apartments so they couldn't get out. And then Italy locked down and the rest of the West went, wow, it's possible to do that in a liberal democracy. And suddenly people were zealots about it, religious zealots about it, even though it was completely out of the norm, completely unorthodox, never before have we locked down healthy people in a pandemic, never, never. This was completely unorthodox, but almost right away, people were acting as if it was the only possible solution. It could never be questioned, never adjusted, never adjusted. It was, it was really remarkable. Those voices suggesting a more measured approach that protected the more vulnerable while allowing the rest of society to function were sidelined, treated like they were suggesting we all walk off the side of a cliff or something. So another Rubicon for me, when the UN warned that an additional 130 million people could starve because of the government policies that claimed to be aiming to control the virus and the media ignored it, 130 million people. Then they ignored the suicides, the mental health issues. Then they ignored the domestic violence, the drug and alcohol abuse, the numbers of people who didn't keep up with their health checks, who died because of not accessing treatment in time. And then they didn't give us any risk-benefit analysis on the lockdowns. Where were those? Where on earth were the government inquiries and reports on whether indeed lives had been saved from the lockdown policies? The only deaths that ever seemed to matter were COVID deaths and all other deaths that might occur because of the cure we were inflicting on everyone, those just didn't count. I always took COVID seriously. I never underestimated. When I got it, I was sick for a full month. I do not think it's on par with the flu, although for many, the symptoms are very much the same. But if we go this far with a virus like this, just imagine what we'd be willing to give up and not just give up, what we'd be willing to deny the generation coming up now of, it's not just about us, right? We're denying the future. Uh, and if something more serious came along, which it probably will, if we're, if we're ready to go this far, if we're ready to go as far as camps, 
Now, I I remember everyone said, like, people have always said at every step of the game of, with this, when I've said something about what do you think about vaccine mandates, they say, is that a thing? That was way back in the early stages. And now obviously it's a thing. I said, what to somebody, would you, um, do you think somebody should be able to keep their job if they decide not to take a medical procedure? They acted as if I was crazy to even ask that question. Of course, they should be allowed to keep their job. Of course, no one should have their job held, you know, at gunpoint for um, a medical forced medical procedure. But now apparently people are perfectly happy with that. So every step of the way, we've been willing to give up these things, right? And so now we're, you know, the press is all up in arms about this, these camps. Well, they're not actually. They're just kind of co sort of coldly reporting on them, to be honest. They're not up in arms. I wish they were, but they're just coldly, coldly reporting on these camps in Australia. And it's like people are cheering about that. So is that next? Coming to a town near you. So if we're willing to go this far for a virus that doesn't even come anywhere close to how bad the Spanish flu was, imagine if something like a series of smallpox came along that has a 30% infection for uh, mortality rate. Imagine something like that, which could, could easily happen. So, um, yeah, then we have to kind of realize what a serious situation we've got ourselves in. So I'm going to stop there for now uh, because I need to do another part. But I just wanted to take some time to reflect on these um, on these steps and and how it's taken me to this point and why I'm at this point where um, I think it's important that we all take a breath, come up for air and start talking to one another you like human beings again and stop falling into these traps, these labels that are being set for us to to just fight each other, uh, because I think that's what they want.